Well, we're continuing our series that we've been in all summer on Sunday mornings that we're calling The Movement. Uh, It's a a study from the book of Acts that we've been uh, looking at. And what we've been doing basically is looking at the history of the church. We've been looking at the history of Christianity, how it all began, what it looked like, and, and some of the challenges that went along with that that are still relevant to a lot of the challenges that we face today as followers of Jesus and, and the church. And, and we've learned that originally the church wasn't a place that you went to, but instead it was a movement that you were a part of. Okay? And so we've been studying what it looks like for us to be not just a member of the church, but what it looks like for us to be a member of the movement, because that's really what it's all about. It's about this movement. And we've seen the importance of understanding that the church is so much more than a building. A lot of people just view it as a building or an event uh, that we go to, but instead it's a movement of God's army sweeping across the land, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and, and what he's done for the, all of humanity and what he's done for us. And, and we do that through our words and our deeds, and we've been seeing that as well through Acts. And today uh, we're going to look at my favorite story in the book of Acts. I, I've literally been dying to get to Acts chapter 9 because it's my, my favorite story in the book of Acts. It's so powerful, and we're going to see this morning morning, you know, that what God does, this work that God does in, the, in this movement through that grace that we've been singing about all morning this morning, how God's grace uh, uh, works in and through the movement and through the lives of believers. And we've been seeing so far uh, in our study and in this movement, the early church, hey, they didn't have it easy. They were facing some great persecution uh, they, they were facing some, some serious stuff. People were being arrested and put in jail for being a part of this movement. People were being killed. We saw Stephen, that he was stoned to death. Church facing a lot of opposition. Last week, we saw uh, the contrasting fruit between a genuine believer and what a counterfeit follower of Jesus Christ might look like in the stories uh, of uh, Simon the magician and then Philip, this faithful uh, you know, member of the movement and the church. We've seen for the last several weeks, we've been seeing this guy show up uh, in our story, this fellow by the name of Saul, who is relentlessly pursuing people who are part of the movement, pursuing Christians to put them in prison or worse yet, have them killed. And and so if we kind of step back and we take a look at what's going on here you know, it wasn't a great time to be a follower of Jesus. You know, it wasn't a great time to be a Christian. It wasn't easy, and it was actually dangerous uh, to be associated with or part of this movement. But here's what I want us to take from the lesson of these early members of the movement, and it's this. It's often in those times when it is difficult and when it is tough and it seems like a, a struggle and things are painful And maybe there's some of you here that can relate to some of this right now. Things are difficult. It seems like a struggle. It seems like every day is a battle. Things are are, are painful. Listen, it's in those times, and we see it time and time and time again, it's in those times where God often does his greatest work. All right? I often hear followers of Jesus and and people in the church, and, and, and it's sad, but it's true. I often hear people in the church, and they gather around, they begin to talk about things that are going on, and it sounds like that old hee haw song, you know, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Oh, 
you know, and uh, some of you don't know what hee-haw is, and, and your life is not, <laughs> your life is not complete until you've watched hee-haw, but, you know, sometimes we hear cheap, uh, church people get together, and that's what it sounds like, an organ recital, you know, everything is wrong, everything's so bad, you know, the president, the congress, the, you know, it, it's just pitiful, pitiful, poor, poor, pitiful us, you know, We've got to live in all this. And, we, you know, seriously, we look around at the events going on around us. Good grief. We experience heartache. We experience challenges. Those poor people up in the, around Branson this week, I can't even imagine that family that lost nine members. But we see the news and, you know, all this taking place. And, and we think, you know, the world's just getting worse and worse. And things are, you know, more difficult uh, people's circumstances, you know, people share with me all the time that they're miserable, you know, they're, they, they feel like their future, you know, they have really no hope for the future. And, and, and so, but, but here's, here's what we're going to focus on today. And here's what we're going to talk about, because here's what I know. It's often in times like that, where we find ourselves in those places where there seems to be no hope, where there seems to be no hope for a future that God does a work of pouring out his grace into our lives and, and through the actions of others that, that change things and make things different. And today, God, I believe we're, we're going to see a, a, a blinding light in our story today. I believe today God wants to show us this blinding brilliance of his grace and what it is, and what it means to us, and what it does, and what it can do. I believe he wants to show us the effects that his grace can have on our life, the effects that his grace can have on your family, the effects that his grace can have on this great church and this movement. This morning, we're going to see the amazing encounter of Saul with grace. We're going to see this amazing encounter of Saul with Jesus this morning. And we're going to see that this encounter with Jesus, this encounter with grace, it brings about a transformation that can only take place because of God, right? Only God could do what we're going to see here in this story today. And so here's what I want to do since it's my favorite story and I'm the one with the microphone and I checked and I've got full battery this morning. And so here's what I want to do. First thing I want to do is I just want to read you the whole story, all right? So, so pay attention. If you have your Bibles, follow along. But I just want to read you the whole story because it's awesome. And then we're going to go back through and we're going to break it down and look at some details of it. We're going to start verse 1, chapter 9. And about the time you think I'm going to stop, I'm not. Okay? Just so you know, I'm reading the whole story, all right? Meanwhile, Saul, this guy we've been seeing for weeks, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, which was their name for the movement, all right, if he found anybody there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I, I, I love that question right there. Who are you? And before he even took another breath, he's acknowledging already who he is, right? Only God. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. 
The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man. And all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, remember, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners back to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by, by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews now to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Do you blame them? He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearless, fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him too. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. That's grace. This is grace. Think about it. It was God's grace that met Saul on the road to Damascus that day. It was God's grace that brought Saul to his knees and blinded him. All right? It was God's grace and grace alone that worked in Saul's life to transform him from Saul the persecutor 
to Paul, the greatest evangelist to ever walk on the face of this earth. Folks, this is grace. And don't miss this. It's that same grace that is available to you today. The same grace. It's that same grace. It still transforms lives today. It changes the worst into the best, and we watch it and say, only God. I shared with you guys that were here last week the story uh, about two guys that I used to work with that I found out uh, now are, are Christians, and one's an evangelist and serving God, and I would have never in my wildest dreams imagined that they would ever even walk through the door of a church. That's grace, folks. Only God, when you step back and you look at a situation or a person or a ministry or whatever it is, and you look at that and go, only God, that's grace. That's grace. It's this grace that will transform you, right? And it's the same grace that can do miraculous and powerful work in your life as well. Listen, folks, God's grace has not changed. It hasn't changed just because it's 2,000 years later. God's grace has not disappeared. It's not gotten watered down, and it's not any weaker. God's grace still changes lives, and it still changes situations. And more people should be saying amen than just Frank. Because you've all experienced, and Dory, all right? Because you've all experienced it. And if you haven't experienced it, it's chasing you. And oh, by the way, it just met you on the road today that you're traveling down. Just like it did Saul. God's grace hasn't changed. It's still available. And so here's what I want us to do today. In, in light of that, I want us to look at this story. And, and I want us to focus on the effects and the benefits of God's grace that we see just right here in this story in Saul's life. Because I believe if we can see the effect that it had on Saul's life, then we can look for and experience that in our own lives. And wouldn't all of us like to experience something like what Saul experienced? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you like that? The first thing that I believe that we see in our story is this. On this movement, grace gives hope to the hopeless. Right? Grace gives hope to the hopeless. Think about it. Saul... He didn't even know it at the time, but Saul was hopeless. He didn't know it, right? He was hopeless. Why? Because he was without Jesus. He was hopeless. And if you don't know Christ today as your Savior, if you're not a part of this movement that we've been talking about all summer, then today, can I just tell you, you're hopeless. You have no hope, right? That's the shoes that Saul was in. But what happened here? Because of God's grace, what happened? Saul received hope. Right? And not just hope for today, but, but a, a, an eternal hope. A, a, an, a hope that would change, you know, his entire life. And not only change his life, but change his eternity. And oh, by the way, not only change his eternity, but he went on to write about two-thirds of the New Testament that has changed countless thousands of other people's lives, eternities. Okay? It didn't just change his life. It changed thousands and thousands and thousands of people's uh, life. This is that hope. And when you can't have that kind of hope that can only come from God, it can only come from God's grace, we've seen over the past several weeks that that kind of hope, this kind of help, it brings about peace and it brings about contentment. Anybody here like a little more of that? Because that's what it brings. 
It brings peace and it brings contentment. When Saul met the Lord that day on the road to Damascus and he accepted him, he received the hope that he never could have had any other way through any other method. And so he, he talked about it later. He, he was writing about it. And, and it's so incredible to see you know, where Saul had come from and to see what he turned into. And you go back and you read some of these letters that he wrote to other churches and, and, and wrote to Timothy and how he kind of explains it. He, he, he tells this uh, to the church in uh, Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. He spoke of this grace and hope that we're talking about like this. He said, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gives us this eternal uh, encouragement and this good hope that we're talking about. Let it encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good, here we go again, deed and word. Right? That's the movement. Paul's trying to explain it to the church there in Thessalonica. Paul knows firsthand that God's grace will give us hope, a hope that will help you to continue on, even in difficult situations, even in difficult times. Uh, think about for a minute, Saul's entire world here is rocked by grace, all right? He's rolling along doing just fine. And his entire world is rocked here in this encounter with grace. His entire way of life, his entire lifestyle has just changed in an instant. Think about what we've seen Saul doing up to this point. He'd been preaching, not Jesus. He'd been preaching the law. And anyone that opposed the law, well, they were arrested if they disagreed with it. Everything that he was in the past is now being totally challenged by grace. And it would have been easy for his life at this point to crash down around him. I'm sure as all these events took place there in the middle of the road, you know, that he was thinking, well, you know, this, this is the end or whatever, but it doesn't. He recognizes it as the Lord. He recognizes it as something that the Lord is doing, that Jesus is doing in his life. He recognizes it as God's grace turning him from the wrong path that he is on to the right path that he could only find through this extension of grace into his life. Listen to what else he said about this mercy and grace being poured onto him. Uh, he's talking to Timothy, his, his young, this little mentor that he has. 1 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 12. He tells Timothy this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me to be trustworthy. Some of you here today maybe can relate to that. I can't imagine that God would consider me to be trustworthy to be an evangelist, a pastor, a preacher, a missionary, a teacher, whatever it may be. You know, I, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me the strength that he even considered me trustworthy, appointing me of all people to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me. And I believe if he was reading this letter to it, he would, he would put the, the emphasis on me, right? The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized that it was only God's grace 
that brought him to where he was. Paul recognized that it was God's grace that blinded him on that day. He realized that he was hopeless without Jesus, right? And hopelessly headed in the wrong direction. And here's what I know. There are people that walk through the doors of this building every single week that are in the same shoes. They're walking the wrong direction. They're on the wrong path. There are people that that you come in contact with every single day whose life has been moving a certain direction. It's always been going that direction, and so it's just going to continue in that direction all their life. And, And they think, they know. People know because God puts in our hearts to know when we're not on the right path, right? And so they know it isn't the right direction, but many people feel like it's too late. No, it's too late now. I've come too far, I've done too much, and and it's too late. But that is exactly right there. That way of thinking is exactly why God's grace is so amazing, all right? Don't miss this. Because of God's grace, it is never too late. Because of God's grace, there is always hope for you. There is hope for your family. There is hope for your marriage. There is hope for your children. There is hope for the future, and it's only because of God's grace that we have that hope. No matter what direction you may have been going in in the past or how many times you went around the stupid roundabout, right? It doesn't matter. God can meet you and will meet you on the road that you're traveling on. You don't have to change roads in order to meet God. He will meet you in the middle of the highway, right? And so he'll meet you where you are. And by his grace, he will show you where the exit ramp is to get on the right road, all right? It's by his grace. It doesn't matter what you've done or or how you've lived or what direction you have been going all of your life. I hear stories all the time, and I'm sure you have too. You know, people that would say, you know, I've not been the husband kind of husband that I should have been. I've not been the kind of wife that I should have been. I've not been the kind of child that I should have been. You know, I've hurt so many people. I've stolen. I've lied. I've cheated. I'm just a bad person. And I'm like, so? (laughs) So? I will take your list that you can make any day and put it up against Saul's. You lose. He was worse. (laughs) He was badder. Right? Badder? I had not even a word. My wife been in education for 30 years, and I still don't know how to speak English. Listen to what Paul says. Paul's writing to Timothy again there in 1 Timothy again, chapter 1, verse 15. Here's what he says. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, listen, all right? Pay pay attention to this. You need to pay attention to this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. That was the point. He came to save sinners, and he says, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, don't you get it? He says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. And oh, has he been patient with Saul, right? 
Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive this gift of eternal life. Paul considers himself the worst of sinners. I mean, think about it. He was a persecutor of the church. He, he was a persecutor of, of Jesus. He was a violent man. He approved of the murders. He was there as Stephen was being murdered and, and condoned it. He was having Christians arrested and put in prison. All that, it's bad. But there is still hope because there is God's grace which gave him hope for this new life, for this new creature, this new person that he would become, an eternal life, a life that is abundant and full and worth living. And no one in this world is exempt from the exact same change and the exact same great grace that Saul received. No one is without hope. No one is without hope. And we should never give up on anyone because of God's grace. Preaching to the preacher right now. Because honestly, some of you that are even here this morning, I gave up on. And then you step back and go, but God didn't. And it was His grace. God's grace doesn't only provide hope to the hopeless. I love this. On this movement, He gives help to the helpless. I need his help. I can mess up a rock pile, folks. <laughs> I need all the help I can get. That, that song we sang there uh, during the offertory, that, ever since we've been singing that, that, that song just stays in my mind. It's almost like a continual prayer. You know, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Every moment, I need you. And so his grace gives help to the helpless. What do we see happen here? We see Paul go from this extremely evil opponent and powerful persecutor of the church. We see him in an instant go to an absolutely helpless individual. In an instant, right? Who is now totally dependent on others just to get him to the next city that he's traveling to. Can I just tell you, when you think everything is going your way, when you think you're something special and you've got it all figured out and you've got things under your control and you're just coasting along the Damascus Highway, you know, it's in those times that our pride will keep us from receiving the help that we actually need. And so we have to be careful about that and understand, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour. I need you. You know, when things are going smooth, when life just is coming at us with no problems at all, we don't understand our true helplessness. And Saul, he's a powerful man. He's a powerful man on a mission right here as he's traveling down the Damascus Road. But when the Lord strikes him blind, he's forced to recognize his helplessness. Sometimes it takes something like that in order for the Lord to get our attention. And in an instant, he's forced to recognize just how helpless he is and that he needed help. 
right? Here in, in chapter 9, again, back at verse 8, we read earlier, it says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand like a little child to Damascus, right? So God does what he does through grace, and he provides the help that we need while we're here on this movement. The Lord provides help for Saul, number one, to get to Damascus, the next step. He, Saul has to have help. Sometimes on the journey, we have to have help. We have to have someone that will help us take the next step on this movement. But then he provides the real help that Saul needs, and it comes through someone named Ananias. Ananias is huge in this story. Huge. Look at it again, starting in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a member, a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. <laughs> so what is God doing here? All right. He's laying it on someone's heart that is a part of the church. He's laying it on someone's heart who is part of the movement to be his hands and his feet and to go. That's what's happening. He's calling to Ananias and saying, it's your turn. It's your job. Here's what I need you to do. Right? And, and so, you know, like we've been seeing, to be a part of the movement means that we're available to be sent. To be a part of the movement means that we're willing to go wherever he says go, and we're willing to give up whatever it is that he says to give up. And that's the situation that Ananias has been put in right here. And, and we don't know, you know, it says that Ananias is going to find him praying. You know, we don't know what Paul is, or Saul is praying here at this time, but you can nearly bet that he's probably seeking forgiveness for his past. He may be singing the song, Lord, I need you. <laughs> Lord, I need you. I'm sure he's praying some kind of prayer of belief. Then it goes on to say in verse 12, In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Now, I just want to stop right there. So God went to Ananias and said, I need you to go. He goes to Saul and he says, There's going to be a man that's going to come to you named Ananias. I just stop right there sometimes and, and wonder, what if Ananias wouldn't have been obedient? What if he wouldn't have gone? Saul was looking for a man named Ananias. What if Ananias would have just shrugged it off and go, oh, that wasn't God speaking. I just had pizza before I went to bed, <laughs> you know? What if? I don't know. But luckily for us, he says, a man named Ananias will come and place his hands on you and restore your sight. Lord, Ananias answered. <laughs> Lord. I, I, can you hear him saying this? Lord, you know, I've heard. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here, by the way, in case you didn't know, Lord, he's come here, by the way, with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who is a part of the movement, who is calling on your name. So basically, I believe Ananias is saying the same thing that I would have said. When we feel like God's asking us to do something we're not comfortable doing. Are you crazy? Huh. 
you've got the wrong guy. I'm not qualified. I can't do that. That's too hard. That's too dangerous. I can't go there. This is insane. But look at verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Listen, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And folks, this is what the movement looks like. It's when people are available and it's when people are obedient. God does things that no one could ever dream or imagine, right? Verse 17, so Ananias goes, I'm sure reluctantly, I'm sure fearfully, I'm sure thinking this is the craziest thing that I could have ever done. But he went to the house, he goes in it, places his hands on Saul. And he says, he, he softened him up here. I, I get this. This is, this is like preacher talk. Brother Saul, you know, Brother Saul, the Lord. You know, Jesus, that guy who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, that guy, remember him? Remember that incredible thing that happened? He sent me, all right? I didn't come on my own. He sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 18 says, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. I just need to stop right there and go, Some of you need to let that speak to you. Because when we place our faith and our belief in Jesus, and we follow Him, and we become a part of this movement, we're instructed and we see time and time again, the very next step after we accept Christ is to be baptized. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul came to believe in Jesus, and now what's happening? He's receiving the help that he actually needed, not only by getting his sight back. That, that, that was just a way of getting his attention. Right? Not only by getting his, his sight back, but also by receiving the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of this one in the congregation who was obedient. Who did what God called him to do and asked him to do. The Lord had told Saul that you know, he'd been persecuting him in, in, in the story. He says, you know, why do you persecute me? But he, he's speaking to that as, you know, Paul's been persecuting the church. And, and, and don't miss this. Paul had been persecuting the church. He's trying to destroy the church. But now Jesus is helping Saul through the very church that he had been persecuting. That's where his help came from. It was from this movement that he's trying to destroy. And I don't know about you, but I've seen countless situations when the complete opposite of what I expected actually occurred. I mean, you know, a lot of times we can uh, look at things and, and expect them to turn out a certain way. But even God did it in a totally different way than we could ever imagine. Some of you have experienced that. Listen, Saul expected to travel down this road to Damascus and go arrest some more Christians, right? But instead, Christians help him come into a relationship with Jesus, right? And I love this part of the story that we normally just read over and miss, but not only did God help Saul to realize that he was helpless, but we can't overlook Saul wasn't the only one that was helped by grace in this story. He also helped Ananias, 
by giving him the strength and the courage to do what it was the Lord was asking him to do. He was a recipient of grace. He, 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 was, he was receiving help because he was helpless in this situation. Think about this a second. Let's, let's say that you know someone who you've crossed paths with, and you know that they've threatened to bring you harm. They've threatened to harm you or hurt you. Naturally, you would probably want to avoid that person, you know, to hide out, maybe to avoid it at all costs. But God says, you know, don't worry about them harming you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to their house and visit with them, right? Instead, go over to where they are and let me use you to bring that person to healing in the name of Jesus, the one that's been threatening and the one that's been persecuting you all along. Listen, Ananias needed help. He needed help. That wasn't something easy that he did. And the Lord gave it to him too because he realized that he is helpless without the Lord and his help. And I'm going to say there are probably some things in some of our lives today that we need to realize we are helpless over. Right? There are some situations that we are helpless to fix. Or we're helpless to overcome. And it's in those times that we can turn to the Lord and it's through His grace and find this help that we need in our lives. And you know, it may be that you just need to take the next step and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a step of salvation. He will give you the help that you need to be able to do that. Right? It might be overcoming a particular sin that you've been struggling with. It might be uh, to do something that will require a huge amount of strength or courage for you to go or do or say or phone call or text or whatever. You know, listen, through the grace of God, He wants to help you. If He's going to use you, He's going to provide you. Right? He doesn't, we talked about it a few weeks ago. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't call those who are equipped. He equips those that he sends. And he does that through his, his grace. And in fact, it's not that the Lord is dying to help, but that he has already died so that he can help. Listen, it was through his death and the power of the resurrection that we know that he can help because, oh, by the way, he defeated death. Okay, so he can just about handle anything from that point. And, and so if he can defeat death, don't you imagine that he could probably help you? Anyone? If he can overcome death, I promise you, he can help you with your name. He can help you with your weaknesses. He can help you with your struggles. And praise God, his grace gives help to the helpless. But not only does God's grace give us hope and help us to do what we're helpless to do, but His grace gives us peace. And I don't know about you, but what I could use is a little more peace. What this world could use is a little more peace. Here in verse 31 there in chapter 9, it says this, As grace has done its thing, his grace is given hope. His grace is given help. His grace is given Ananias the boldness to go and do what God's called him to do. The result of all of that, we see in verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. And they were strengthened. <laughs> 
living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Because the movement's going to move. And the movement's going to grow. And it's going to do that not because of what you can do, but because of what grace can do. So maybe you're here today. I don't know. I don't even know all of you. Maybe you came in here today feeling hopeless. Maybe you came in here today feeling helpless. Some of you walked in here today just feeling plain worn out because you've been asleep. I'm kidding. Y'all know what I'm saying. We get to the point. Hopeless, helpless, tired. Today through this story of one man, two men, we can thank God for the reminder that through the grace of Jesus, there is hope. There is always hope. There's never a time or a place that hope does not exist because of grace. We have help, and we can have peace and contentment, and this movement will go on. This movement will continue to increase. And I want to close with this this morning, something someone shared on Facebook yesterday. A pastor, a friend of mine, shared this on her Facebook page, and when I read it, I just felt led. i got to share that. Somebody, somebody needs to hear this. So I don't know who it is, so all of you listen. But it's this. Step out of the history that holds you back and step into the hope that will move you forward. Saul's a great example here that your past really doesn't matter. Because we've said it time and time again, your past does not have to define your future. So step out of the history that's been holding you back and step into the hope that will move you forward. Folks, this is what the movement looks like. This is what the movement does. It's who we are as Christians. And I believe today that you have seen extremely, uh, how, how extremely important it is that you are a part of the movement and you're on the right road and the right path. And so my question is you, to you is the same question I've asked every single week. This is the movement. Will you join us? Let me pray for us. God, I just want to thank you today for this awesome reminder of what grace is and what it's all about and that it's still available. <laughs> Often we read those, the stories in the Bible and we go, yeah, that was cool stuff that happened back then. But God, I thank you today for reminding us your grace has not changed. Your power has not changed. Your ability to change lives, to change situations, to change marriages, to change relationships, to change uh, families, to change our church. God, that power, that help is still available to us today. And I don't know 
how you're speaking to everybody that's here. I know how you've spoke to me. But God, there are some people here today that walked in here with a struggle. Maybe needing a little hope. Maybe needing a little help. Maybe needing a little peace in their life. And today, God, you've reminded it that that comes in and through a relationship with you. And through the grace that you pour out upon us. And God, I love that verse. I think about it nearly every day. The verse that says, you extend your mercy and grace to us fresh and new every morning. Because you know we need help and we need hope and we need peace in our lives every day. And that comes through your grace. And we're not going to get it, we're not going to find it, and we're not going to receive it in any other way. And so if there is anyone that is here today that has never fully surrendered their life to you, to your movement here on this earth, I pray that today would be a Damascus Road experience. That you would say, I know you've been on this road, and today... I met you there. You've seen grace. You've seen me. Now it's up to you. You want to change paths or you want to stay on this road you're traveling? It's your choice. So God, I pray today some people make a choice to walk with you and to join the movement. And if they need some encouragement, I pray that we would be the Ananias of this story. That we'd be willing and we'd be available We'd have courage to do the things that we know in our own strength we can't do. But God, through the strength that you give us through your grace, we can. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So I pray that there would be a room full of people that would leave here today viewing themselves as the Ananias of the movement. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. Thank you for the invitation to serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.